Romans, the sixth chapter. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to read from verse 11 through verse 18 from the New King James Version this morning. We're, we're going to refresh. We're going to get down to verse where we left off uh, uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, I sent out an email, and I thought we were going to be talking about obedience and getting into sanctification. We're not going to get that far today. That's going to be next week. Something else just 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 captured my thoughts in the midst of it, and you'll know when we get there. And uh, Brother Scotty read from Spurgeon today, and it's reading Spurgeon, a sermon that he preached that caught my my captured my thoughts, and, and we're going to read some from that today as well. So to begin Romans six eleven through eighteen. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here he's talking to the born-again believer, to those who are in Christ. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. In verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And we talked about that for quite a bit. Don't let it reign, which which gives the... Uh, implication that we can let it reign. We can submit to sin. Therefore, do not let it reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, which again has the implication that we can do that. We talked about that in sermons past but rather present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members, and remember what, uh, members, that's talking about our hands, our feet, our tongue, our eyes, all those things, that's the members of our body. And present your, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness, of course, of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. It shall not. For you are not under law, but under grace. What then? And here's that same question that was asked in verse 1. Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? In other words, well, if I'm under grace, then let us sin that grace may abound. And Paul replies, certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Let us pray once again. Heavenly Father, we, we just come before You and ask, Lord, pour out Your Spirit upon us. Let Your Spirit speak and minister to each one. Lord, You know each need that is here. So, Father, speak to each one. And should there be one, even in this listening this morning, that is yet lost in their sin, I pray, Father, draw them to Yourself. Open their eyes to see the truth, to see the doctrine of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And Father, for us who are born again, open our eyes to see You even more and see the grace in which we stand. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, in our study so far in the midst of going through uh, these six verses up to this point, we have talked a lot of our identity, our true identity. And Paul says, for the true born-again child of God, we are no longer under law, but we are under grace. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And under grace is speaking to identity, is speaking to our position now in Christ, our righteous standing before God. But for those yet under the law, it means that they are trusting in law-keeping. Can I say it that way? They're trusting in their law-keeping to justify them. That keeping the law is their means to righteousness, a salvation of works and by works, law-keeping. And we know that this is not true. The law cannot save anyone. The law can only condemn. The law can only reveal sin and show us sin. Remember, Paul said, How would I have known covetousness unless the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So the law yet has a purpose. It lets us know that we are sinners because no one can perfectly keep the law. In Galatians 2, verse 16, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Is there a more clear statement than that as far as being justified by Christ and not of works? Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So if anyone says they believe the Word of God, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, and they're banking on their works to get them to heaven, they're yet lost. They're yet in need of justification by faith. In Ephesians 2, you know these verses, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Read the last part with me. Lest anyone should boast. No one is going to be in heaven boasting of how they got there. No one but we will be there humbled before our Lord and Savior, knowing full well that it was all Him, and that we stand before God the Father robed, clothed in a robe of righteousness, not of our own, but of Christ. No boasting. What we, we preached last Sunday, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's only in Him and in Him. By grace we're saved through faith. In Romans 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And again, that comes back to what I just said. Sin 
or the law reveals our sin. It, it, it lets us know without a shadow of a doubt that we are a sinner. Then in Romans 3, verse 28, Paul says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You see, the law was never a means to justification. It was never a way by which men could be saved from their sin. Never was and still is not. In Galatians 3 again, verses 21 and 22. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. In verse 22, But the Scripture has confined all under grace, all under sin, but the Scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Scripture has confined all under sin, all the world guilty before God. And we remember Paul started out in Romans 3, charging that all Jews and Greeks are all under sin in Romans 3 verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. All born under the law, all guilty before God, none righteous. All born children of wrath. All have received the imputed sin of Adam, born as those children of wrath, save one. Jesus Christ, who was not born of Adam, not born of the seed of Adam, but born of God. That's how important the virgin birth is. We must believe in the virgin birth. Because Jesus Christ was born of God. And so now, for those who are uh, born again, true believers, we live under the reign of grace and eternal life in Christ. So a person is either under grace or under law. There's the two choices. We've talked about two choices a lot uh, over these last several weeks. And then in our last sermon uh, in Romans, we looked at verse 16. So Romans 6, verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. You see, we are slaves. Everyone on the face of this planet is a slave. <laughs> Not a politically correct statement to say, is it? But we are all biblically, by the biblical truth and definition, we are all slaves. And biblically, there are only two categories of of slaves. You're either a slave of sin leading to death or a slave of righteousness leading to eternal life. Only two choices. And it always comes down to only two choices. All on the face of this planet is either one or the other. Either sin is your master or the Lord is your master, the one whom you obey. Then in Romans 6, verses 17 and 18, but God be thanked 
Say, who's Paul thinking? He's thanking God. He's not patting the Romans on the back. He's not thanking them for their intelligence and in receiving Christ. No, he's thanking God. He's thanking God that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set apart from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So for those who were born again, once a slave of sin and death, but now in Christ, a slave of righteousness, of Christ Himself. Paul gives thanks. So child of God, remember who you are. Remember who you are. That you were a slave of sin, but now you are a slave of righteousness. In Christ, we serve a new master. And the true born-again believer has obeyed from the heart the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> obeyed from the heart. And that's, that's, that's the part that captured my thought. We obeyed from the heart. And, and, my, and here's where my thoughts went. And I'm going to take you on this journey with me as I was considering this. From the heart, but 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 Paul, we know this. Jeremiah told us in chapter seventeen, verse nine. The heart is deceitful above all, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart, the heart. Jesus said this in Matthew fifteen, verse nineteen. For out of the heart. Proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. So Paul, how how is it possible for us to ever believe from the heart the doctrine by which we were delivered? Because God gave us a new heart. By divine act of grace, mercy, and love, we were made a new creation in Christ with a new heart. And here's what I want to do. I want us to go to the Old Testament. Go to the book of Ezekiel. Now, I hope we can all agree that in the Old Testament, we have many, many types and shadows of that which is yet to come in what we know as the New Testament. That we have many things that tell us of the Messiah of Jesus Christ and His and Him coming. And we have many things that speak to the children of God. It, it spoke to the Israelites and, and the children of God then and can still speak to us yet today. And so let's look. In Ezekiel 11, we're going to read first, we're going to read 19 through 21. And this is the Lord speaking. Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts follow the desire of their detestable things and their 
abominations. I will recompense their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Does that speak to us today in any form or fashion? Child of God, before we, by grace through faith, believed, were we not a stony heart? Were we not far from Him? You know, a heart of stone that, that, that the Word of God would not and, and could not, apart from a divine act, penetrate? Stone? Let's go to the chapter 36 in Ezekiel, and we'll read much of the same. Then the Lord says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. And, and even as we go through this, see, in my mind, the verses come that I will wash you with the waters of regeneration. You see, all these were flooding to my mind as I was even considering this. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, I'm going to pause there for just a minute because in much of what we've been studying, we've been talking about the flesh and the spirit. That is not talking that same flesh. That flesh, we're talking about the unredeemed man, the flesh. But here it's talking about that the, the difference between a heart of stone that is dead and a heart of flesh that is alive and living. So, so you see the difference. Don't, don't confuse what we've talked about many times of the flesh being that unregenerate person. Here, that's not what it's saying. It's the difference between death and life. That, that's what this is talking about here. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and I will and you will keep my judgments and do them then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers you shall be my people and I will be your god Child of God doesn't that speak to you Oh I pray that it does I believe these Old Testament passages speak to us today as having been a type or shadow of God giving a born-again believer a new heart. A heart that can believe and a heart that can obey. Because we all began life on this planet with a heart of stone. Dead in our trespasses and sins. And then, what, what kept coming in my mind, and perhaps you've even thought about it even now, how about the parable of the seed or the sower? Did that, did that cross your mind? Let, let's, let's go to Matthew 13. Now, you can go and mark that and read the entire chapter and read that entire parable, but today we're going we're gonna to take those parts that talk about the stony ground. Because we've been talking about that heart of stone. And so first, in Matthew 13, verses 5 and 6, this is Jesus as He is teaching in parables, which He did many times. And here it says, Some fell on stony places. And He's talking about seed. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up, because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. 
And because they had no root, they withered away. And then the disciples asked, tell us, what, what does all this mean? And then he, he explains, he espouses on the parable. So in, in verses 20 and 21. But he who received the seed in stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Perhaps some of you here this morning can remember before you were saved by grace through faith. And perhaps you can remember going to church or listening to a friend witnessing to you about Jesus Christ. They're sowing seed, you see. And, and you had a heart of stone and it would not take root. It would not penetrate our heart. At that time, the message of the cross was foolishness to us who are perishing, a heart of stone. And perhaps, now listen to this, because maybe you know some. And perhaps, by human effort, you heard all of this, you've been hearing about this, and you've been watching your friends, and, 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 and you say, boy, they, I, I, I like what they're doing. I think I want that for my family. And so by human effort, okay, that's me. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to be a Christian. From this day forth, I'm going to be a Christian. No spirit. The seed fell on a heart of stone. And in this case, perhaps it sprang up for a while because people can do some good things, can't they? People can do very benevolent things. And so on the outside, something sprang. And it looked like the growth within a true Christian, a true born-again believer. But there was no root. The seed had not penetrated the heart of stone. Did you see where I'm coming from? And so then after a while, and it will, it will after a while, the cares of life, the troubles, the tribulations, the Word of God even, Oh, well, I can't, I can't, that's... And they fall away. They wither. They die. And you may think, well, oh my goodness, they, they, they were such a good Christian, and yet they've fallen away, when in all reality, they were never saved. Do you see? Because the seed had not fallen on, a, on good ground, on a, on a heart that had been prepared by God. Let it be known that they went out from us because they were not of us that we might know. And not to give up on them, but to pray for them. That they might know the truth and that the truth might set them free. That they, they may have a heart that would receive the implanted Word. Salvation is not of works. It's not of human effort. It's not, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to do this thing. 
John 1, verses 10 through 13. Because we know, we know full well that, that there are many who have had nothing more than an emotional experience. Or they've had an intellectual response. And it was all flesh. And not wrought by the Spirit. And this will not work. They may have an outward appearance of a Christian life, but it will not sustain. It will not endure. It will not be able to stand when tribulation and persecution comes. Salvation is not of works and mere human effort. Here in John, first chapter, verses 10 through 13, we'll see the Lord saying the same thing, or the, the, the Word of God saying the same thing. He was in the world, talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. And the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, received the implanted Word. As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood. Now let's, let's pause here for a minute, because you may be sitting there going, well, wait a minute, we're all born with blood. That's a, Life's in the blood. We, we're all born. It's not what it's talking about, that blood. It's talking about heritage. It's, and it spoke especially to the Jews, didn't it? Not, not of your bloodline. Well, well, our father is Abraham. We're descendants of him. We have his blood in our veins, you see. That, that's where they were going. But, but you're born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. And, and this is what I've been talking about. Not, not by human effort. Not by our own will and nothing more. Nor of the will of man. And I believe this to be talking of false religion. Man-made religion, of which there are many in this world today, and even was back then, but of God. So let's read it one more time. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's why we sing songs that talk about born of the Spirit, born of God. There is salvation, true salvation, is of God alone. And the true believer has been born of God, born of the Spirit. God in His great mercy and love called us to Himself. He called us His own. He took out the heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh in which the Word, the seed, took root and is growing in us, even yet today, children of God, growing us more and more and more, can I say this, into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be that that we'll, Lord willing, be talking about next week in sanctification. And that's where I came across a sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached some 150 years ago this year. Isn't that amazing? I thank the Lord 
And we all must thank the Lord for Scripture that by the very hand of God has been preserved and handed down through the ages that we may still have it. But I also thank the Lord for the writings of, of, of many of the reformers, Edwards, of, of, of Charles Spurgeon, of many that we can go and we can read those sermons and read their texts, read as they've been compiled into books. I thank the Lord for that. And so I pray, let me read. And I pray that you can stay attentive. I know this is tough to just hear somebody read, but stay attentive to this. Listen to this quote. And this is from a sermon entitled, The Heart of Stone. It is a peculiar feature in our holy religion that it begins its work within and acts first upon the heart. Other religions, like that of the Pharisees, begin with outward forms and ceremonies. Let me pause. That's it. The others are a religion, again, Kevin has brought out so often, a, a religion of do, instead of relying on what God has done. Other religions, like that of the Pharisees, begin with Outward forms and ceremonies, perhaps hoping to work inwardly from without. Although the process never ends so. For the outside of the cup and of the platter is made clean, but the inside still remains full of rottenness as before. Dead men's bones. See, No truth is more sure than this concerning all the sons of men. Ye must be born again. There must be an entire and radical change of man's nature or else where God is, He can never come. The gospel does not flinch from this. It enforces the declaration and it does over and over and over in His Word. The Holy Spirit does not attempt to improve human nature into something better. Now think about that because there's a lot of this going on today. Self-improvement. Improve yourself. And so till you will be worthy to stand before God. No. No. That's what he was talking about here 150 years ago. The Holy Spirit does not attempt to improve human nature into something better, but lays the, listen, but lays the axe at the root of the trees and declares that they must become new creatures. And that by a supernatural work of the omnipotent God, Scripture does not mince matters or say that some men may be better than others naturally and by an improvement of their excellencies may at last become good enough for God. Far from it. It declares concerning all, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. True religion begins then with the heart. And the heart is the ruling power of manhood. You may enlighten a man's understanding and, and you have done much, but as long as his heart is wrong, the enlightenment of the understanding only enables him to sin with a greater weight of responsibility resting on him. That's deep right there. I don't know if you caught that. Let me read it one more time. 
You may enlighten a man, enlighten a man's understanding, perhaps in witnessing to him, telling, telling a sinner about Christ. You may enlighten his understanding because people can take this, they can be lost as a goose and read this book and, and can read it and understand it like they would read any book of literature and understand it. Do, do you see what I'm saying? They can understand the words, but it's not of the Spirit. So you, you may enlighten a man's understanding and, and you have done much, but as long as his heart is wrong, the enlightenment of that understanding only enables him, only enables him to sin with a greater weight of responsibility resting on him. Oh, he taught me I shouldn't be doing these things, and I keep doing these things, and so there's a greater weight of responsibility on the sinner. He knows good to be good, but he prefers the evil. He sees the light, but he loves the darkness and turns from the truth because his heart is alienated from God. As long as the heart is wrong, the affections govern the will and bias the character of the man towards evil. The heart, when renewed by grace, is the best part of manhood. Unrenewed, it is the worst. That's a good statement. The heart, when renewed by grace, is the best part of manhood. Unrenewed, it is the worst. For there is nothing better in the world than hearts renewed, and nothing worse than hearts unregenerate. It is a great covenant promise that the heart shall be renewed, and the particular form of its renewal is this, that it shall be made living, warm, sensitive, and tender. It is naturally a heart of stone. It is to become by a work of divine grace, a heart of flesh. Hence, very much of the result of regeneration and conversion will be found to lie in the production of a tender spirit. In other words, one of the fruit that that he's saying is tenderness. You'll see that. Tenderness, the opposite of that which is a stout, obstinate, cold, and hard person. Tenderness is one of the most gracious signs in a man's character and where God has given fleshiness or living sensitiveness instead of a stoneness or dead insensibility of heart, there we may conclude that there is a real work of grace and that God has created vital godliness within. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. A heart of flesh is a boon of sovereign grace, and it is always the result of divine power. So never forget that. No heart of stone has ever turned into flesh by accident, nor by mere providential dispensations, nor by human persuasions. (laughs) Now listen, listen to this. You might argue with a rock a long while before you would persuade it into flesh. It'll never happen. Argue with a rock. And understand, many times that's what you're doing with someone who is yet lost. You're arguing with a rock. Know that. You might argue with a rock a long while before you would persuade it into flesh. Neither is such a change wrought by a man's own actions. That's those things I was just talking about. How shall a stone, being a stone, produce in itself flesh? Can't. It can't. A power from above the man must work upon him according to the language of the Scriptures. Except a man be born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
The Spirit of God must change the nature or the heart of stone will never become a heart of flesh. When his heart is turned to flesh, then the love of God affects the man, humbles him, melts him, woos him, wins him, captivates him, enchants him, enamors him, inflames him with ardent thankfulness and draws him upward toward heaven. Divine love begets in the renewed man a sensitiveness to gratitude. Has Jesus done all this for me? Then what can I do for Him? Has He bought me with His own blood? Then I am His and not my own or the world's. What can I do for Him that died to save my grateful soul? You see, that that should be the heart of the true born-again believer. Those with a heart of flesh that has been wrought by God, that the seed has been implanted daily. May we fear lest we should fall into a routine religion. Child of God, listen to this. That we should fall into a routine religion without life and power. We can sing without real joy or praise. We can pray without any earnestness or fervency. We can read the Bible without feeding on its truths. And we can know the doctrines of the gospel without proving their influences upon the heart. Pray against this. Yea, pray against all lifeless religion. I beseech you who are believers to strive after this. Remember how tender the Savior was. There was no stone about His heart. May you be as tender as He was. And you will then be fashioned into the likeness for which God is preparing you by His eternal Spirit. Dread growing hard in your thoughts of sin. Dread growing cold in your thoughts of Christ. Dread growing stony in your thoughts of your, in thoughts of your fellow sinners. But let this promise be pleaded in your prayers before God. I will take away the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. End quote. Thank the Lord. That we can go and read such things. I believe Spurgeon's heart was stirred by the Lord in preaching that sermon. And so I would ask today, here's the question. What's the condition of your heart? Is it stony and dead? Or is it flesh? Is it alive in Christ? So the question I would ask, have you been made alive in Christ? Have you believed from the heart the gospel of Jesus Christ? And let's read some of the gospel this morning in John 3, verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In other words, their heart is yet stone. Jesus came to this earth. We sang about it this morning. The earth that He created to be the perfect sacrificial lamb, to give His life a ransom for many, to pay in full the penalty 
of sin for all those who would believe. So by faith, by grace through faith, believe, receive Jesus Christ. Confess that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Repent of your sins and turn and follow Him. And I know, and I know, and I know that that can only happen if the Lord is convicting and speaking to you and drawing Him to yourself. I understand that. But perhaps today is that day. That's why I will never cease from asking those type of questions. Because this could be the day. That someone's, that, that's, hey, that's what I'm praying for. That someday, that someday we could be at this portion of the service and someone will just cry out from where they're sitting, Lord, save me! Because He has shone light into darkness and, and all the truths that they've heard have come to light. And, and all they can do, sinner before most holy God, is to cry out. Children of God, I, pray for that. In John 5, verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. John 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 6, verse 47. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. See, by grace through faith, as Paul said, I plead, I beg, be reconciled to God, be in a right relationship with God. And I know, and I know, not by persuasive words, but only by His Spirit and by the truth of His Word can that divine act happen. Pray that your heart of stone may be made alive in Christ. And that for those who profess and confess Jesus as Lord, let me ask this question to you. I keep asking that question. Do you know who you are? Well, yes, I know, I know who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm born again. Well, let me ask this question. What effect is it having on your daily living? Will it have an effect? Yes. And if it doesn't, pray the Father that it will. So that portion of a Spurgeon sermon that really struck with me, we can sing without real joy or praise. Did you do that this morning? Was you just mouthing words? We can sing without real joy or praise. We can pray without any earnestness or fervency. Well, what's your prayers like? Oh Lord, bless the day. Uh, help us, I pray. And off you go. Now sometimes, perhaps, that's all we need. Or perhaps there's other times where we need to stop and have a fervent prayer, perhaps confessing sin, perhaps praying for someone else, that, that, that there would be times of extended prayer. You can sing without real joy or praise. You can pray without any earnestness or fervency. You can read the Bible without reading, without feeding on its truths. So, now, Barb and I are, are, like many of you, I'm sure, 
we're going through, uh, we've, we've got it through Kindle. We've got it on our devices. Uh, John MacArthur's daily Bible reading. And, and, and it does like many. You start in the, in the Old Testament. You read a passage. We're in Leviticus. Whew. So that's where we're at. <laughs> yes. That's what Jesse, we talked about. You're in Leviticus. Well, hang on. It doesn't get much better as you get a little further even. So, and that's it. And, and that's it. And, and when, you, when you understand, because we've talked about these things. My goodness, why? Why all this? You've got to do this and you got to, this sacrifice has got to be this way, this way, and and and, and you got the you got the wave offering, and you got the you got the heave offering, and you and you, you got the, the all these different offerings. And, but there was a purpose in the midst of all of that. And and the part when when you first read it, and, and they took the blood of the sacrifice and put some on the on the right ear, and the right thumb, and the right toe, and, and you and you read that and you go, what? What is that? That all we hear, that all we do, and everywhere we go. You see, there's a reason for it. And so, so take the time as you're reading. Lord, give me understanding. Don't, don't just okay. Okay, I'm, I'm a day behind. I got to get caught up. And here you go. See, <laughs> by that reaction, I know you know what I'm talking about. So we can, we can, we can sing without real joy or praise. We can pray without earnest, without earnestness and fervency. We can read the Bible without feeding on its truths. And we can know the doctrines of the gospel without proving their influences upon the heart. That's our daily walk and our daily living. Child of God, understand who we are. And if we have a firm grip of knowing who we are, we will not fear in this life when trouble, when trouble, trials, when sickness, when whatever comes. Because <laughs> we've talked about this. What's the, worth, what's the worst this old world could do to us? Well, kill us? Paul says, I get promoted. I get, that's not how he said it. To, to live as Christ, but to die is what he said is gain. For every one of us, when we die, if we die in Christ, that is gain. That is great gain. Because that will usher us into His presence. You see. But while we're here, while we're here, fight the good fight of faith. Let's end with this verse. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep your heart. So we've been talking about the heart. So I thought this would be good. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we give You thanks for Your Word. And and Lord, I pray that in my stumbling and bumbling around up here, I pray that, that by Your Spirit, You have spoken to hearts today. Because again, Lord, I know You know each and every one in here intimately. You know them. You know where they stand before You. You know them. You know their true heart. 
And so, Father, again, I pray, should there be one who is yet living with a heart of stone, oh, dear Father, have mercy. Have mercy. By a divine act that only You can do, draw them to Yourself. Take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh that can receive the implanted Word. Grant them faith that they might believe. Grant them repentance as they confess their sins to You as they cry out to You. And Lord, give them faith and grace to stand and follow You the remainder of their days. Father, for, for those of us who are born again, we know, we know who we are, that we're in Christ. Lord, help us to never grow cold. And help us to never grow cold in, in, in all these different areas that Spurgeon talked about, whether it be in our worship, or our singing, or our, our praying, or our, our, our Bible reading, whatever it may be. Lord, help us live, live that that Word would influence everything that we would say and do. And Father, may You be glorified. May in everything that we say and do, may it bring honor and glory to You. So help us, Father. Speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.